Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. Now many of you probably do not realize or know that outside of lions, tigers, and bears, <laughs> there, there is no more a ferocious creature <laughs> than a caged squirrel. Now that would be if the squirrel in a cage, they still might be ferocious, because squirrels don't apparently <laughs> to be trapped. But if you should happen to have a ferocious squirrel who uh, is obviously feeling trapped, that is not caged, or maybe it's caged, but it's in your house, uh, the squirrel won't be the only one. <laughs> so I had this old house I was working on, and uh, we just bought, purchased it, and moving in, and uh, doing some renovation. Had not actually lived there yet. <laughs> so I've got stuff in there and to work on the house and supplies and tools and etc etc and though that probably was a bit of a ruckus uh, obviously it wasn't going to be quite the same as when once I moved them all in I decided to spend any extended period of time there so all the inhabitants of the house and I should say an old house but a house that had not been lived in. <laughs> it's really important to say. For at least several months, power had been turned off. Um, nobody lived there. When I occupied the house, all of a sudden I began to discover the house is already occupied unbeknownst to me. No person was living there, but there was a menagerie. It was a veritable Noah's Ark of creatures, large and small. One of which, though, was a squirrel. And I believe, presume, probably not singularly so a squirrel. There was probably a family of squirrels in the house. And they did not take too kindly to probably, most likely, my, my bringing all my stuff in, but definitely <laughs> when I began to occupy it with my very being, it was a bit too much. And supposing there was an outside egress where they could leave and come and go, unfortunately, I came in at an inopportune time for myself as well as the squirrel. Because when I came in, obviously I inadvertently, obviousness to follow, blocked whatever access the squirrel needed to make his or her egress or escape. And it went berserk. And the more berserk the squirrel went, the more crazy I felt. And though I knew I had all power over this squirrel, at least in the dimension of size, smarts, 
and if needed a weapon. There's plenty of things I could have grabbed that would have defended me quite well against a squirrel attack. But as the squirrel was going crazy and I started to go crazy, my brain stopped working. <laughs> All I wanted to do besides get the squirrel out of the house was get out of the house myself. Eventually, <laughs> the squirrel did follow me out of the house. Um, it wasn't immediate. It took a while. Oddly enough, the squirrel didn't go out the way that it came in, at least not to my knowledge, because I left through the back door and eventually as I stared at it, I saw the squirrel exit through the same door. So I must have messed up his thinking as much as he or she had messed up mine. And all that it was looking for was an escape. Now eventually we rid our home, the house, of all the vermin, all the critters, the creatures great and small, and eventually occupied and have lived there for decades now and never had another squirrel problem. But it left an indelible impression, not only on my brain, my psyche, but also on the house. Because in the process of trying to escape, it's amazing how much wood squirrels can actually eat through or try to eat through. It's quite an ordeal. Psychology Today, October of 2022. For the love of his human, how a dog faced his greatest fear. At seven weeks, Rocky was given to a boy with emotional problems. By the way, the article is written by Stanley Corin, Ph.D. At seven weeks, Rocky was given to a boy with emotional problems. Unfortunately, the boy was jealous of the dog. He put him in a pillowcase, tied a knot, and threw him into a lake in upstate New York. Horrified, the boy's father rescued the dog. However, the next day, the boy tried to drown Rocky again. He took the dog and held him underwater. The dog was rescued once more by the father and promptly returned to the breeder. Later, Rocky was given to Rita when he was 10 weeks old, and they immediately bonded. Called R&R by the family, the two were always within reach of each other. Once, when Rita was about to enter a store, two large men dressed in biker gear burst out of the door, yelling at the shopkeeper and nearly knocking Rita over. Rocky rushed forward, putting himself between the girl and the two men. He growled in a low rumble, and the men backed off. He seemed fearless most of the time, but Rocky's terror of water was evident when Rita went swimming in a nearby lake. He would pull back in distress, pace on the shore, and tremble. When he was three years old and Rita was 11, he, she fell off of a boardwalk and into the lake face down. Her body was not moving. 
We can never know what went through Rocky's mind as he stood there watching his keeper, but he leapt forward and into the water. He swam to Rita, grabbed her dress strap, swam back to shore, and dragged her out. Rocky's fear of the water was absolute and never did abate. He continued to avoid it for the rest of his life, and no one ever saw him so much as place a foot in the lake again. He braved the water just once for Rita, for love. Again, for the love of his human, how a dog faced his greatest fear, Stanley Corrin, Ph.D., October of 2022. Psychology Today. Now, I wish at times that I had that degree of courage and bravery. It's an inspiring story. The first time I read it, it was very emotionally moving for me. I think we can all identify both with Rita, who we would believe to be a quite innocent soul, a good soul, a loving soul, a caring soul. We could also identify with Rocky, who had experienced, obviously, trauma in his life, tragedy from an individual, and we should note, as the article did, his first owner had problems. And with that, put Rocky in some very awful situations, but for the decency of the boy's father, uh, and I would imagine some luck, Rocky could have drowned on at least two occasions, but it wasn't intention for him to drown. How do I know? Because he didn't. Was it all along intention for him to rescue Rita? We're not sure. Some might be inclined to believe in fate. Some might think then that this was all part of a much bigger narrative, one that in the end would do just what the article attempted to do, the author of the article attempted to do, was highlight love and overcoming fear by loving someone. And I would want to believe that to be true too. But even as the article also seemed to suggest, no one knows what Rocky went through when it came to rescuing his owner, Rita, in such the act of altruism, unconditional love. Now I could anthropomorphize and speculate. I'm sure Rocky thought about that. I'm sure Rocky had to make a decision. I'm sure there was some element of choice, but I don't know that. I could also say clearly Rocky had reasons not to and showed all kinds of really clear signs that it was a distressing, disturbing, fear-inducing situation that he faced when Rita fell off the boardwalk into the lake and at some point some awareness, realization came to him that she was in need of rescue. Even the term rescue, what does that mean to a dog? So besides speculating and then spending a lot of time trying to sort it all out and come up with reasons 
even if in that anthropomorphizing, I would want to ascribe the Rocky certain human attributes and traits, affording him much virtue and character, and believing that he was quite capable of what I thought love was, maybe it was all instinctual. And in that, maybe Rocky didn't think much about that at all. Now what has this got to do with squirrels and houses and, <laughs> and great escapes? The longer the squirrel and I stated the aforenoted situation or mentioned situation, the more our fight or flight <laughs> fear, and with that I suppose aggression or anger, although I was thinking about defending myself as I confessed at the beginning of the podcast. I don't know that the squirrel was. <laughs> the squirrel just wanted out of there. And likewise, the longer I stayed in that situation, I chose not to kill the squirrel or move to a more aggressive place, fight or flight. I chose flight instead of fight. Now, you could say, well, that's pretty sissy of you or baby of you, and those may not even be appropriate terms to use anymore these days, but back in the day when those were more commonly used descriptions, that was not complimentary when someone who was held themselves out was considered by themselves to be somewhat of a strong man, and all back in the day that went into the description of a man would be scared by a squirrel and would run rather than fight. Now, maybe in that there's implicitly something to be said about virtue and character. Instead of kill or be killed, I opted to run. But I don't know that that was necessarily me saying that I wanted to die. But I'm sure for the squirrel... It was probably a matter of life or death. And that really makes my whole point. Even as I'm explaining to this, this to you on the podcast today, you could put a lot of thought into a lot of things. And you could try to rationalize and reason it out. And there's nothing wrong with trying to understand the highest order contention upon more immediate or even within a more long-term context of one's life or maybe society, civilization, maybe the human race. But even as I would sit and pontificate that now, in the moment that I was in, there really wasn't much room for pontification. And oddly enough, when you're in that mode... Uh, the more emotional your thinking becomes, the more that feeling of threat sort of preeminates or takes over to a point of preeminence, you're probably not going to be so pensive or thoughtful about it. You need to make a choice. And though that really wasn't a life or death situation, most of us probably understand what it's like to be caged in. Meaning, kind of instrumentally, for the sake of the podcast, 
Meaning, we really don't know that we have much of a choice. And should we want to think about it in a million ways, it may not also really remedy whatever it is that's caging us in. You can try to eat through the windowsills, <laughs> damage to the house. Uh, you might get lucky, somebody might leave the back door open. You, in your moment of emotional thinking, may not even really be able to appreciate how you got there. And then and that even kind of short-ordered, most basic of thinking, as it might escape you when you're so emotionally engaged, the norepinephrine and adrenaline is just flowing through your system at such a high level, even those type of basic thoughts escape you. Well, if I just go the way I came in, there's about to be a hope of getting out. All that squirrel, I would guess, saw, again, I don't know what the squirrel was thinking, was an open door. I don't know that I thought through it much, but I had enough intellect, intellectual capability, rationality, reasoning to know, well, there's got to be an exit somewhere. Which one's the closest? And it happened to be the back door. And it was in the back of the home that the squirrel and I were occupants of or occupying at the time. And so the squirrel just took advantage of the open door. But what if there isn't one? There's an old saying, nobody gets out alive. And that's true. I know the beginning of the story for the love, or the article, for the love of his human, uh, Psychology Today, Stanley Corin, PhD, How a Dog Faces Greatest Fear. I know that was so tragic and sad. I almost didn't want to read it, but I had to read it because it really captures the plight. The dog was going to be drowned, whether it was via a pillowcase, as a puppy, or with a very emotionally disturbed keeper, as the article describes it, secondary to the first rescue, needing a second rescue, we're all in the same situation when it comes to death. There's no way out. Nobody gets out alive. At least not in some material or physical dimension. Now, in that fatalism, in such conversation about death, in such conversation about being trapped in such conversation about fight or flight, the body as is designed or as has evolved has a basic reaction. Maybe it's animalistic. Maybe that too is instinctual to such a threat. It's either run away from it or kill it. But if you can't run away from it, you're not going to escape it. And if you can't kill it, then you're going to be bound to it. And I think, though that may not be the classic textbook, so to speak, definition of a victim, that really is what it is. You're a victim of life. 
Nobody gets out alive. And if you think of it that way, in emotional terms, even with the best philosophy, religious persuasions, possible answers to kind of turn all of that to something that's much more palatable or acceptable, and even so, with the benefit of psychologically speaking, the human capacity for denial, compartmentalization, all those defense mechanisms. The weight of that is burdensome. And to the extent or degree that we have to come up with an answer may really speak to the extent or degree that what time we do have in a material dimension that is herein definably so, the time and space of our lives, it becomes almost more an issue of quality than it does quantity. Now again, I don't want to be unfair about all this and hypocritical. We've got time today on the podcast to think about this. I've had time to think about this. I would even venture to say most of human pathology when it comes to psychology and probably physiology is the inevitability of death. Everything comes back to that. Well, what you do with that, though, in a moment such as I described, either for Rocky, for me, for the squirrel, even for Rita, I'd love it to be, oh, I've thought this out, and I'd love it to be that I have a good answer, or I'd love it to be that I get even to test this. And that's the other thing is, how often do you really get to test this? Most of us who live to a ripe old age, as the adage goes, have been quite successful either through maybe some strategy planning, taking care of ourselves, protecting ourselves, employing rationality, reasoning to develop ways to prevent harm directly to ourselves and hopefully the people that are around us, self-preservation mode. Or maybe just luck. We've survived. But if we don't at least remotely think a bit about this and come up with some strategy, when the time comes, it's going to be hard to figure out what to do with it. The time to think is now, not when it happens. And maybe also the good news here is there may be a bit of instinct that can take over if you even so would not allow such an avoidance of the thoughts or thoughts that would be intentioned to not think about it, strategies that would be intentioned to avoid it or to think so much about it that you freeze up. (laughs) Your instincts can't even be allowed to work rightly. Now, I've already captured just in a fight-or-flight sort of way, it's probably better to run if you're inclined not to think about killing things or harming others. And maybe all of us are like that squirrel when you're boxed into a corner or backed into a corner. We're all going to come out fighting. 
But if it becomes a qualitative issue in addition to quantitative, if in the end, no matter if you win this battle, you'll lose the ultimate battle if you measure it only in the sense of life or death. And really in a physiological sort of way, instinctually, I would believe most animals, that's all they do. They don't necessarily have the awareness, I think most would say, of such concepts, abstract sort of, I don't know, paradigm. Paradigms <laughs> as life and death. What it is to die, what is after we die, if anything, what it is to face the nothing, if you don't believe there is something. These are not thoughts that most would believe animals sit around thinking about. They just respond. But should we then have the advantage of that level of thought? And should we be able to, in some sort of way, play through in our own minds possible scenarios, even with the idea of death or potential risk, existential threat, where <laughs> everything is an existential threat, we acknowledge the existence of just that, the existential threat that goes along with our existence. Maybe we can make a choice more than just fight or flight. Maybe we can say, I'm just going to live life the best I can until I get there. I can't sit around and come up with a way out of it because there's no escaping it. But I can make the quality of the life that I have now as good as it can be. <laughs> Not only for me, but I would hope for everybody else. And should you want to remove the additional risk of someone such as this emotionally disturbed boy in the article that I, from Psychology Today that I read about Rocky, that's usually what turns people, again, I said that a moment ago, what turns people to such emotional, psychological difficulty that they would then think it better to harm something or someone else, something, dogs are <laughs> animate, alive, I don't want to call them things, but they're animals, they're not human, humans are animals, but once more, we have this additional capacity that sort of gets into a conscience sort of realm. And a consciousness sort of realm that animals, we still believe, don't have. Although Rocky seemed to exhibit all this, I don't know we're ready to say that he has at least as developed one, or had at least as developed one, as humans more commonly or normally operate out of. But the one thing I can say is, whatever it was that instinctually was going on in Rocky, I want more of it. I want to rely on something more than simply fight or flight. I need to flavor it with at least an awareness that if I think too much about it, if I think my thoughts would be then, in that thinking, my thoughts would then be turned toward more my quality and quantity of life rather than somebody else's, I'm 
at risk of harming other people and creating the very thing, or at least adding to the already existent existential threat. They're not going to be very well put together or fit individuals. This boy in the article is jealous. I don't know whether jealousy would go into fight or flight, but jealousy would seem to suggest a lack of resource, or at least some belief that the dog represented some sort of risk of taking some very important aspect of his life from him. And we could then again speculate and pontificate and try to reason and rationalize and come up with all kinds of possible causes for that. Let's just say it's out of deficiency and inadequacy. It's out of living in fight or flight that the world turns dark. <laughs> that instead of taking the more virtuous course, which I'm about to elaborate, or elaborate upon, most of us, at some point or another, not only have tasted <laughs> of, of that decision-making in a real-life term, some of us institutionalize it, but not with any sort of true appreciation to the victim element that we're all, in some ways, victims, and decide to be, instead of victims, perpetrators. And in that, they're really not operating out of virtue and character or the full capacity or capability of that consciousness as we're trying to elevate our awareness on the podcast today to such a level. And if it is instinctual, maybe that's the conscience. Maybe the conscience is either cumulatively so over the course of humanity kind of accumulated to a point where there's just some basic things that goes with or that becomes part of why we would call humans pro-social <laughs> creatures not inclined to first and foremost lead with too much fight or flight or institutionalize it to such an extent that we lose touch with those pro-social attributes and whether that's love or not, I don't know. Dogs seem to be very much pro-social in their packed sort of mentality. And they seem to have evolved to a point of appreciating how helping one another, even if it should risk their own existence, is better than and likely more successful than trying to preserve singularly either the individual and individual, whether you're a dog or a person. It doesn't make sense. You can argue that resource is resource and it never is more or less. Conservation of energy. But at the same time though, people can hoard it up and out of neuroses, too much fight or flight, too much norepinephrine adrenaline, norepinephrine and adrenaline, too much of this institutionalization, of self-preservation. <laughs> me and maybe if we are a bit social, it's only to the extent of me and my people. We'll hoard it up. We'll take it away from you because, you know, you never could get too much resource. But even that seems to suggest a lack of confidence 
in the general overall model, it's not about quantity most of the time. Or when you think of it in such existential terms, it can be. It has to be about the sacrifice. It has to be not about being a perpetrator, although I understand there's a certain sense of empowerment because you can take that resource, whatever it might be, own it for yourself, deny somebody else that. If we're all starving and there's only so much ration left, then give it to me because I'll live longer. But in the end, nobody gets out alive. But what we can say is, is that possibly the highest order of thought, the highest order of choice, the highest order of virtue really may not be so much a choice except to allow what would then be over time have come to be encoded in us, gotten into our genetic composition, the very thing that seems to define us best in those kind of pro-social, loving sort of terms. Even if it risks my death now, it is better to do that now with that sense of empowerment than it would be to be either a victim all my life or a perpetrator. <laughs> Why do I want to kill something simply because I don't want to die when in the end I'm going to die anyhow. It would not then that make life so much better for me, squirrels, <laughs> dogs, my neighbors, more so if it is my people, who are my people? <laughs> We're all part of the same in that way, a bit cliche, the same family. But it's that easy. When that gets triggered or tripped, when you come from deficit and you've never really had a chance to pontificate much, when fear is all that you've ever known because whatever it was that instilled the fear in you, I'm still inclined to want to believe it's more social, more environmental than it would be in our genes, in our instinctual component, in our conscience. Maybe one day even that will be overridden. <laughs> Enough people are in the selfish sort of way, perpetrator, victim turned perpetrator sort of way, inclined to perpetuate or institutionalize the victimization. And then in their rationality and reasoning, their pontification, even begin to justify it. I don't want to go there. There's no justification. Because in the end, you have nothing when you get here. And in the end, you're not going to take anything with you when you go. Except what you've done with the life that you've been given. I think that was the emotional part for me when I read the article about Rocky. I thought, I'm such a horrible human. I'm not even a good animal. I wish I could be more like Rocky. And even with the squirrel, 
I'll justify some of my <laughs> irrational thinking, my fight or flight thinking, to saying, well, running away was probably better than killing the squirrel, but I don't want to take too much credit for it, that, because both of those things come from the same well. But what I do want to do is to commit my life, not necessarily when I'm in such a level of awareness of the threat or with that so imminently threatened. Again, going back to the article, as when Rita was going in and the bikers guys were coming out. There's a time and place for that. And in that case, then it was a standoff. But if I had to make a choice and I could do so now, and if I could make that choice so that it would best be in consonance with, not dissonance to, but aligned with what I think is not only the best in a conscientious sort of way, but a conscious sort of way humans are called to be, why would I not want to do that? I've chosen not only to run, I've chosen to go ahead and if it should demand it, dictate it, because I've made the commitment, I'm going to hold myself accountable to it because I'm a person of integrity. I believe it lines up with my nature, at least that pro-social component. I want to be the person who runs into a building on fire. I want to be the person that stops when somebody's overdosed on the street and they need Narcan. I want to be the person that otherwise doesn't cheat, doesn't steal, doesn't lie to get the resource. I don't want to intimidate and bully people. I don't want to tell people what they should or shouldn't be, but I want to lead with example as best I can of what I've determined to be the highest order of choice. I want to be virtuous. But not of my own construction. <laughs> if I'm an animal, then I might be guilty of anthropomorphizing on myself. I know that that's circular reasoning and somewhat redundant in the sense that I can't separate that from what I think. I'm already thinking. But that may be the human downfall. Maybe I think entirely too much. Maybe I want to do everything I can in all of these things that I've just declared that I want to be. Maybe if we could remove at least the extra level of threat that comes from being mean to one another, that comes from then choosing to become a perpetrator rather than exist as an, an, a victim because in the end, there's no way out. Maybe the only way out, and if there is a possibility of something more with nobody gets out alive, when we are faced with that, if it's anything, then I want to stand for something in some esoteric sort of term that committed myself to not harming other people just for my own survival. Yes, I'm a romantic. Yes, I cried when I read the story the first time. Yes, 
I love it when I can talk about things like love and yes, that level of devotion and yes, there's justice and good in the world. But I want to remind myself and then (laughs) the podcast, I want to remind you. You may be the light in the darkness. It may all be there (laughs) because we've chosen to do it differently than simply kill or be killed. Live and let die. No. (laughs) Do better. And maybe if I do better, not only will I reduce or hopefully eliminate human corruption, even if it would be to the amplification of that existential threat, that risk of dying, something killing you along the way. I don't want to be it. And I would encourage you to not be it because at least the safety and security that comes from trusting your neighbor is not your enemy. Trusting your enemy is not in your family. Speaking about critters inhabiting the house. It's a horrible thought to think that you are the enemy in your own house and you extend that to those that really occupy your physical domicile. Then your principality, your your, uh, community, your city, and all of a sudden, I'm beginning to realize I'm the evil if I've gone that route. If I don't commit myself to helping people to make changes, then I'm just as complicit. But when you think of it that way, maybe, maybe we're not so far from Rocky. Maybe it is all in us in a conscience sort of way and we've just allowed the fear. Maybe it's developmental. Again, you have to be a bit older when abstract thought and reasoning can be added to your reasoning and help you see it in such extended sort of projected future-oriented sort of ways. Maybe you need that to be able to take the stuff, the lessons learned from the past, not only apply it in a present sense, but a future sense. But I want to get so good at it, it's like driving my automobile or my vehicle. I don't want to have to think about every little thing. Or it's like doing whatever you do so well. On the front end, it took a bit of practice. It took a bit of calibration of the machinery, the physiology, the psychology of it all. But once you make the choice as a consummate professional, once you've done all the practice, you still have to occasionally continue to do some of that routinely so that you stay in the game or on point when it comes to the game at your top best. But when the game's going on, that's not when you want to think about strategy. (laughs) When you're living your life, when the immediacy presents itself of having to make a split or spontaneous decision, and you've registered, everything is existentially a threat. Remember, you can become in that sort of self-directed way, in that empowerment sort of way, just as committed to loving as you can to hating. It's your choice. And returning to what I said earlier, I am inclined to believe all sickness comes from denying 
not only what is instinctually in us, what is that conscience that we have, but allowing the trauma, the threats of life to override that, to steal that from us. So not only would people be healthier, not only would they be healthier individually, but as a collective in family and societal terms, but maybe we could be each other's keeper. <laughs> you know, am I my brother? Yes, you're your brother's keeper and your sisters. And if you're gender neutral, then they're them. We're all responsible for what we make our life to be within the confines of the time and space of material existence. What limited time and space we have. It isn't infinite. 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 But what is infinite is this intention. Because this idea, if you pass that down... If you socialize properly, if you teach this to your kids, it'll go on forever. There is an eternal sort of dimension to that. But in the same sort of way, we can create what seemingly is an eternal condition of torment and hell if we would want to do that. I'm still even so inclined to believe that somewhere along the line, somebody will wake up, even if they've suffered generationally this sort of degradation to this place of lack of virtue or kill or be killed sort of mentality or everybody becomes a perpetrator rather than risk being victimized and there's all these power grabs and all this narcissism and all this stuff that's all about self and self-preservation. I still like to believe one day somebody is going to wake up and say, why are we doing this? We have a choice to change it. <laughs> Let that day be now. Let's change it. When people come see me to do the psychological counseling, now is as good a day to change it as any could be. Let's just agree. We need to work on this together. If there is any work in it, it doesn't have to be complicated. Let it just be, though. Better for me to give myself to life than to believe life is somehow going to sustain me. Better to be loving than it is to hate. Better to be generous than it is to be stingy. Better to be helpful and supportive than it is to be disregarding, to be even so abusive. And with that, murderous. We're all going to die, but we don't have to be killers. We don't have to be murderers of each other. I hope that makes sense. It did enough to the squirrel. <laughs> he didn't kill me and I didn't kill him. Or it. He or she. It was clear enough to Rocky. Maybe we can accept that. And though we don't have to think about it all the time and and it really can become as high-ordered as you want it to be, I don't know that it has to be. So, for the love of his human, <laughs> yes. How a dog faces great... For the love of our humanity, <laughs> which we all share. How each of us are responsible to face our greatest fear. What is that? 
It's mortality. But I'm not to blame. And if I try to murder you, then I take on more than I should. But that's just the way it is. But I don't want to be a murderer, and neither should you. <laughs> I don't want you to be afraid of me. I, I, I want to be your friend. I, I want to be a good neighbor. <laughs> I want to be almost as good as your family, hopefully, as that would be somebody that you love, and they love you. Stanley Corrin, PhD, for the love of this human, how a dog faces greatest fear. Sometimes I wish I was as good as my dogs, <laughs> or as Rocky. I hope the podcast helps. And what is the podcast? Word would Dave play. And if it does help, then I want to invite you back to our next podcast. And in the meantime, I hope that your life is filled full of good, which will lead to good health and good mental health. But it's up to you. It's the best in self-care to care for others. Until then...